0: Davis. Today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time you brought into contempt the land of Settlement and the land of Napiah, but in the latter time you will be glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in the land of deep darkness, on the light has shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with the joy of the harvest. As people involved with the mighty plunder, for the honor of their burden, and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's gospel reading is from the good news according to Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum, by the lake in the territory of Zebulun and Natiah, and that which had been spoken to the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Sebon, land of Natiah, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadowed death, light is dawned. From that time, Jesus began to repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the lake. And they were fishermen. And he said to me, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nests and followed him. And he went from there. He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and he watched Jesus walk by. He then explained, Look, here's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said What are you looking for? They said him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with that day. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him put Andrew, Simon, and Peter
1: museum piece or an artifact, not a dry bone or a rigid command. Words that really rubbed me the wrong way. Words like holy, as in holier than thou. And judgment, because judgment sounds, well, kind of judgy. <laughs> sounds judgmental. These are words that conjured up the worst behaviors I've seen from Christians around me. And another one of those words looms over, looms especially large over today's scripture, and that word is repent. Repent. Repent, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. conjures up images in my mind of street corner preachers with a sign proclaiming that the end is nigh. I remember a friend of mine in seminary declaring that Repent was a word that he would never use again, on account of the way it was used as a hammer of judgment against him because he was gay. For him, the word had become a symbol of pain, rejection, and self-hatred. Needless to say, the word has a lot of baggage, so to speak. So if you're like me, you probably hear the word repent and think, oh, goody. As much baggage as there may be, though, repentance is a kind of unavoidable concept if you want to want anything to do with Jesus as the Gospels paint him anyway. In our scripture, John the Baptist, Jesus' predecessor, has been tossed in prison. John's main thing was gathering people down by the River Jordan, inviting people to confess and be washed in the water as a sign of forgiveness. The purpose? Repentance. And, as John tells us, he's just paving the way for Jesus, the Messiah, to come. So when John's in jail and Jesus starts his public ministry, when he shows up at the lake of Capernaum, the first thing Jesus says to kick off his entire career is this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. One scholar says that this phrase Beginning with repent is kind of the frame for everything that comes after Jesus' first public act, his first teaching is a call to repentance. So, as negatively weighted worded, as the word may be for some of us, the truth is that we just can't understand Jesus without knowing what this word truly means. I'm kind of like Leonard Cohen, you know, that famous song, Democracy says, Repent, repent, I wonder what they meant. <laughs> Part of the problem, I think, is the definition. The Oxford Dictionary defines repentance as the fact of showing you are sorry for something wrong that you have done. And I mean, it could be something like that. Feeling bad for something and proving our regret can be a good and healthy thing, the thing that I'm sort of called to often. But it's more than that. It's more than just a feeling. The word that's often translated from Greek into English as repent is in the New Testament is this word. Metanoia, metanoia, which means literally to turn around, to turn from one direction to the other. It's used sometimes to describe a change of mind, which can and would be a part of it, but it's also more than just a change of mind. (coughs) Two, the biblical commentator Frederick Bruner gives a good definition. He says, there is nothing tricky about its meaning. It does not tell us what to turn from specifically. The emphasis is turning from our preoccupations towards God. Whatever keeps one from turning towards the coming kingdom, whatever keeps us from turning towards God, is not merely a change of mind or regret. It is a complete change of life direction. It's a complete change of life direction. So repentance isn't just feeling bad. It isn't just changing your mind. It's to turn away from those things that preoccupy our lives and turn towards God. Instead, it's a complete change of life direction, a personal 180 in the right way. It sounds like a lot. Right? It sounds like a lot. And it is a lot. You can see it play out in what happens next in the story. Jesus begins his public ministry, he's calling people to repent, he's just traipsing up and down the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he runs into two brothers, Simon, who will remain, remain, remain Peter, and Andrew. They're out in the water fiddling with the net because, well, they are fishermen. It's what they do for a living. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me and I'll make you fish for people. I mean, what's interesting here is that there's no hesitation right it's like oh this stranger says follow me uh sure drop the nets immediately it says they drop the nets and follow him i mean that was easy same thing two other brothers james and john and both doing some spot repairs on their nets with their dad zebedee he calls to them presumably the same way he did with simon and andrew and the same thing oh yes hello, stranger yes we will drop everything and we will follow you wherever you are going James and John leave the boat and their dad and have and join Jesus on the road. And this is what repentance looks like according to Matthew. Jesus calls, they repent, they turn away from their livelihoods, they turn away from obligations to extended family, from social ties, homes they've lived in their whole lives. These are all the nets they're caught in that keep them from swimming freely. And they turn towards God, joining a homeless, wandering rabbi and hooking others into doing the exact same thing that he did for them. To follow Jesus takes a complete change of life direction. He calls, he drop everything that you're tangled up in, that's getting in God's way, and you follow. That's what it means to repent. That's what repentance means. at this point, it's helpful knowing that the word repent isn't just a hammer just going around to make people feel bad, but knowing what repentance actually is maybe isn't any more helpful because it doesn't make it any easier or attractive. If you're like me, you'll find find yourself tangled up in all sorts of stuff, stuff that's of no help to you, your family, your neighbors, or ultimately the world. Some of us are literally like the disciples, caught up in our careers, tied up in making money, worrying about not having enough money. Some of us are wound up by social media and politics, railing and raging at the state of the world. Some of us are bound up in addictions or our own self-centeredness, caught up in putting our needs above. Them. And if you're like me, you'll also know that it's not so easy. Knowing what repentance actually is and what you repent of doesn't make it any easier. Repentance requires a radical shift in direction. And the truth is that few of us have the kind of strength to overcome it. To paraphrase paraphrase Elvis, you know, we're caught in our own nets and we can't swim out caught in the trap, and we can't walk out. No matter how hard we may kick our legs and promise ourselves we'll work harder, but we just can't drop everything and turn our lives around, can we? At least not on our own. We can't. is that when it comes to the question of turning our lives around, we're not actually alone. I mean, if you believe that human beings are ultimately on our own in the universe, then yes, we are alone. Then now maybe the kind of turnaround we isn't very likely, maybe not likely at all. But if this story is true, if this story is true, then it means that maybe we're not alone. proclaiming repentance. He says so, because quote, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. The kingdom of heaven, the world as it was made to be, as it's intended to be, and the life we long for has come close. It's come near. It's already on the way. I mean, it's interesting because elsewhere in the New Testament, repentance is described not as something we bring about after total discipline and a little elbow grease, like hit the gym, you know, hit the gym for Jesus. But it comes as a gift. 2 Timothy 2, 25. God may perhaps grant that they will repent. Acts 5.31. God exalted Jesus as his right hand as Lord and Savior to give repentance to Israel. Repentance is something that God brings to us kind of change that we're looking for isn't something we've got to invent or bring about, but it's something that comes to us, comes at us, something that's already been set loose in the world, in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. It's coming at us, whether we like it or not. Frederick Bruner that same guy who provided our definition of repentance earlier, says that when Jesus says, turn around, He says, when Jesus says turn around, he releases with that word, even to us who hear it today, the spiritual power to turn around, or the power to ask for the power to turn around. Jesus' word changes people and things, he says. It performs, it reforms, transforms, and conforms whatever it touches. Jesus' word changes people and things. This past week, I was reading about the British painter Peter Housen, sorry, Scottish. So for all the Scots out there, Scottish painter Peter Howson. And Howson had a turbulent childhood, but eventually found great renown as an artist. He was commissioned in the early 1990s to spend several months in Bosnia at the height of the conflict there to give a kind of artistic expression. Of the war, When he came back with gruesome portraits of violence and pain. I thought, I should, "Could you go to the next slide?" I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. This is the next the right one?
1: Next one? Next one? <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> That's Peter Housen. I was going to show one of his, one of his, <laughs> one of his paintings, but they're pretty brutal. You can kind of get get an idea yes. behind him of what exactly he was up to. But he came back with these gruesome portraits of, of war, violence, and, and pain. Despite the darkness of their subject matter though, these paintings made him quite famous and wealthy, kind of became a progressive uh, darling. And celebrities like Madonna and Sylvester Stallone lined up to own his original head can Sylvester Stallone, hey, this one. How's <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> But he became quite successful. Despite all this artistic success, though, Howson's personal life was falling apart. He'd fallen into bouts of deep depression and occasionally filled with enough rage, he says, to kill someone. He resorted to drinking and cocaine abuse as a way to cope. And his life went off the rails. And at one point, he realized that he needed to turn his life around, but he couldn't. So, In 2000, he decided he needed help, and he checked himself into Craig Castle Clinic for alcohol and cocaine addiction. It was in there, in treatment where Howson had this mystical experience. It was a vision of Jesus, no less. Jesus who spoke to him. And Howson was raised going to church, but it's not something he continued into his childhood and he considered himself a Christian. But Jesus came to him, he said, and Jesus spoke. You are and drinking drugs were all part of that until I realized that God is the only safe addiction. It took me three or four months to discover how it feels to love and to be loved. Peter Housen was caught up in the net of his success, sneered in depression, dragged down by a life of dark. Dependence, a life he was unable to entangle himself from. But then Jesus spoke. And somehow the net was broken. The kingdom of heaven invaded his life and turned him around. I mean, it's not, his life wasn't perfect after that. But this shift caused a shift in direction. He was on the right path again. With this word of grace, he was able to stop drugging and drinking, and to follow, to turn away from it all, and turn towards God instead, and turn towards the only safe addiction. Jesus' spoke, and repentance became a reality. The same thing that happened with Simon and Andrew and James and John on the beach. Jesus. Friends, dear friends, we may not have the power to turn our lives around. I mean, I don't. Maybe you do. But the good news is that God does. Jesus does. His word repent here is not so much a command as a promise. That because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, because there is a God and God is good, and because this God is with us and for us and not against us, all that stuff we're caught in that's keeping us from loving God and loving our neighbors, all that stuff that keeps us trapped in ourselves and away from others, all that stuff that stands between us and truly living, Jesus' word itself is a great relief. It's the freedom of knowing that a turnaround is possible and that the way things are ain't the way they got you. You've got to change. I've got to change. We've all got to change. We've all got to turn away from the darkness and step into the light. We all know it. And we all know it's impossible but on, our, on our own. But here's the good news, the best news. We're not on our own. You are not on your own. Because in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near in him. There is hope. There is power and strength in his promises. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Whatever you're caught up in, the good news is that you can let it go. You can leave it all behind and follow. And for this, thanks be to God. Amen.